The Carter Report presents Plain Talk with John Carter. Hello, friend. I'm John Carter. Welcome to The Carter Report and today to Plain Talk. Around the world, people watch our television program and people send in heaps and heaps of questions. Today, we'll be dealing with those important questions. Maybe your question is going to be answered today on Plain Talk. Hello, friend. I'm John Carter in Havana, Cuba. I'm standing here in Revolutionary Square. This great square is dedicated to the great communist revolution under Fidel that came to this country back 50, 60 years ago. This place is still undergoing a revolution. We've come to check out the reality of the situation. Freedom of speech is not allowed here still. Preaching the gospel out of doors is not allowed here still. Whatever you hear about reconciliation, nothing has really changed. We've been told we cannot run public campaigns in Cuba in any part of this world. We can run meetings in churches, that's allowed. So what are we going to do? We're going to support the people of God in this part of the world. We're going to step through those doors as God opens those doors. We're not going to come and cause a commotion and cause trouble to the people of God. We will work diligently and as wise as serpents and as harmless as doves. Stand with us in the preaching of the gospel, wherever it is, stand with us. Write to me, Post Office Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. In Australia, write to me at the address which is now appearing on the screen at Terrigal. And let us go forward for a mighty spiritual revolution as we take the gospel of Christ to the lost around the world as God opens the doors. This is John Carter in Revolutionary Square in Havana, Cuba, saying to you, God bless you and thank you for your support. What difference is there between the Muslim and the Christian religion? Huge difference. The Muslims believe in the Quran, their holy book. We believe in the Bible. People say, oh no, one holy book is as good as another holy book. That isn't so. The Bible teaches that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that Jesus is the Creator, and that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. The Muslims don't believe that. That's the difference. Let me read to you from John chapter 8 and verse 56. Jesus says to the Jews, Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him, and you have seen Abraham? I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Jesus said, I am. And these words mean, I am the almighty God, the great I am. At this they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. The Bible teaches 
that Jesus is the great I am. Now, if Jesus is the great I am, then the only true religion is the religion of Jesus Christ. I'm going to come over now to John chapter 1, and we're going to start at the very beginning of this chapter as I try to answer that very good question. John chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and Jesus is the Word. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. The Bible teaches that Jesus made the universe. My Muslim friends say Jesus was a great prophet. He was a mighty man of God. We respond by saying thank you. But Jesus was more than a mighty man of God. Jesus was the son of God. Jesus was the creator. Jesus was the great I am. And the Bible teaches that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. The Muslims say, no, he he didn't die on the cross. No, the great prophet of God could not die on the cross. But the Bible says that the son of God actually died on the cross. That's the difference. Who pays for your evangelistic campaigns? And why do you even bother to do this work? Well, it's not a bother. We do this work because God told us to do it. It's commanded in the Holy Scriptures. We don't do it because it's easy. We don't do it because it's just some job. We do it because of our convictions. I'm going to come over here in the Bible. I'm coming over here to Acts chapter 4. I'm getting close. Chapter 4 and verse 12 says... Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. The only way a person can be saved is through Jesus Christ. Now you say to me, well, that's not politically correct. Not everybody believes that today. In fact, most people don't believe that anymore. Quite frankly, I don't care what most people believe. I really don't. I don't want to be politically correct. I want to be God correct. And I want to believe the scriptures. And the Bible tells me that the only way that a person can be saved is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. My friend, that is the truth. Now, I'm going to turn over now to the book of Ephesians here in the New Testament, and I'm going to read you here a text that many Christians, people in the church, they don't seem to believe it. Ephesians chapter 2 tells me, and in verse 1 it says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and in your sins. If a person doesn't know Christ, the Bible says, he is a dead man, he is a dead woman, and he needs the gospel of Christ. Are you listening to me? And then the Bible goes on to say, it talks about the lost. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. Listen to these words. Without hope. And without God in the world, without hope and without God in the world, 
But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Now, I know that lots of people today, even people in the church, don't like to hear this plain word. They don't want to hear this plain truth. They don't want to hear the the clear word of God. But the Bible says the only way you can be saved is through Christ, through the preaching of the everlasting gospel of Christ. That's why I do this work. You say, but, oh, no, that's your job. You know, there's... You can have a job as a doctor. No, no, everybody has been called. If you're a Christian, you've been called to teach the gospel of Christ and to win the lost for Christ. That's why we do it. And we go wherever God opens the doors. Who pays for these campaigns? Well, people like you. You say you don't get any money from the church organization? No, not a dime. But we don't, we don't need it because God supplies our needs. We have faith in God and people send offerings to us and we use that money for the most important work in all the world. It's God's work. It is the preaching of the everlasting gospel and we invite you to become our partner in this great work in the preaching of the gospel. God bless you, amen, I say. Here's a theological question. What is righteousness by faith? That is a a theological question. And it's a tremendously important question. The person who sent me this letter said, what is your belief in righteousness by faith? You know, I'm a bit scared sometimes of these theological terms because uh, it it can be a turnoff for some people. They say, you know what, what are you talking about? Why can't you just say simple things? Well, we're trying to say simple things today. The Bible says in Luke chapter 15, verse 1, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, 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 This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Righteousness by faith says that God loves sinners. If you're a sinner... I want you to know Jesus loves you. If you're a sinner, Jesus would like to come to your house today. He'd like to to talk with you. He'd like to sit down and have a meal with you. This man receives sinners. Righteousness by faith tells me that we're born sinners. Every one of us. We're born without a knowledge of God and we're born in need of the grace of God. Now, how can an un Righteous person become righteous in the sight of God. A lot of people don't understand this. And the reason they don't understand this is because they don't read their Bibles. And even if they do read their Bibles, they don't seem to believe what they're reading. Now, here's the book of Romans written by the world's greatest theologian after our Lord. That was St. Paul. He says, Romans 4, What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works. He had something to boast about, but not before God. You can't be saved by being good. You can't be saved by your works. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God. It was credited to him as righteousness. Credited. Now, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, 
to the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked. Can you believe this? The Bible says he justifies the wicked. His faith is credited as righteousness. Now listen, your soul depends upon you getting this, my friend. The Bible says we're born in a state of sin. We're born lost. People say, don't want to hear that. You know why you don't want to hear hear it? It's because you're self-righteous. But you can't be saved if you're self-righteous. You can only be saved through God's righteousness. Now, God is completely, absolutely perfect. Jesus is absolutely righteous. And the Bible tells me this. When I come to Christ as a penitent in true faith and I take hold of Christ and I believe in him, he gives me as a gift his righteousness. The Bible says it's a credit It's as though you've got yourself in a terrible mess and you you owe a billion dollars and someone comes along and by the grace of God and because of the love in his heart, he credits you with all that money. It's credited to you. You didn't earn it. It is the gift of God. Righteousness by faith is when God takes a poor sinner like you and me and because of the merits of of Christ because of the blood of the cross. Are you listening? Because of the blood of the cross, because Jesus paid it all. He gives you as a gift his righteousness. My friend, we are saved by works, Christ's works. We are saved by righteousness, Christ's righteousness. It's given to you and to me as a gift not because of our goodness, but because of his goodness. It can be yours today. Why don't you say now, I confess my sin and I accept Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. Hi, I'm John Carter. My wife Beverly and I were watching television the other night, watching the news, American news. They told us that the church in North America is actually shrinking. They said that atheism is the fastest growing religious movement today in North America. And people are saying, what on earth can we do to save the church? Well, of course, Christ died for the church. He saved the church. But what they mean is, how can we keep the church as a vibrant force in the world today, in Australia, in America, and in Europe, and in the rest of the world? Let me tell you a little story. John Wesley was one of the greatest preachers that the English-speaking world has ever heard. John Wesley came upon the scene of the, of the church in England a few hundred years ago when the church was dying. Like the church today, it was a shrinking church, but the people in the church were in a state of denial. They refused to accept the reality that the church was dying. John Wesley did something that uh, other people said couldn't be done. He revived the church through public evangelism. Did you hear that? He started to preach Christ, he preached the Bible, and he preached out of doors and indoors, and the church was saved. Not only did he save a lot of souls, the souls of sinners, he saved the souls of the saints. Please join me, my friend, in evangelism. It's what Jesus did. Write to me, John Carter, Post Office Box 
1900 Thousand Oaks, California. In Australia, write to me at the address on the screen at Terrigal in New South Wales. Join me, my friend, in preaching Christ. Join me in public evangelism around the world. Thank you, in Jesus' name. Pope Francis is a Jesuit. Who are the Jesuits and what do they believe? Well now, that's quite a question. Not many people ask me that question. Uh, most people don't know anything about history. It is true that Pope Francis, who is immensely popular, is a Jesuit, as you would expect him to be popular if he were a Jesuit. The Jesuits were founded about the time of Martin Luther. Uh, back in the early 1500s, about 500 years ago, by a Spaniard by the name of Ignatius from Loyola, a little town in Spain. People call him Ignatius Loyola, but it's really Ignatius of Loyola. And he was born with a passion for the Roman Catholic Church. When Martin Luther was studying the Bible, and studying the book of Romans to discover the truth about righteousness through faith and the truth of the Bible, Ignatius was a soldier. He was fighting as a soldier. He had blood on his hands. He was a brave soldier. He got terribly injured. And while he was recovering, he had a vision of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Martin Luther got his revelation from the Bible Ignatius Loyola got it from visions given to him, he believed, by the Blessed Virgin Mary. But I believe that the Bible teaches that the Blessed Virgin Mary is dead. And she's asleep, a great saint of God, awaiting the resurrection. So how can a person who is dead come to you in a vision? It's an impossibility. So he gave his heart to the Blessed Virgin Mary. And then he went into deep meditations and he wrote the spiritual exercises. And when you do the spiritual exercises, you meditate and you prostrate your soul before God and you do it for days and weeks and months and years. And by so doing, he felt he was coming to be more like Jesus. And that's why they founded the Jesuits why he founded the Jesuits. And that's why people joined the Jesuits, because they believed they were following Jesus. They became the leaders of the Counter-Reformation. Now, you know about the Reformation, don't you? That's when Martin Luther got up and preached the Bible and the Bible alone, taught the true gospel of righteousness by faith, taught the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus and the Bible prophecies. And the Reformation had tremendous success around the world. But then the popes with the Jesuits said, we've got to stop the progress of Protestantism. And they started what the historians call, you know what it's called? The Counter-Reformation. And the Jesuits were in charge of the Counter-Reformation at the Council of Trent. It was the purpose of the Jesuits to obliterate Protestantism 
from the face of the earth. They became the greatest scholars, the greatest theologians, some of the greatest scientists, and they infiltrated almost every government and every church and every organization. They were the Pope's soldiers and the Pope's men. They were in charge of the bloody Inquisition and they put to death hundreds of thousands of Catholics, Protestants and Jews. They were the Jesuits. And today we have a Jesuit in the Vatican. Do you believe in evolution? And if not, why? Uh, these are such good questions. Do I believe in evolution? Well, what sort of evolution are you talking about? Tell me that. Are you talking about microevolution? Because every person believes in microevolution. Every person believes in variation within the species. We see through mutations, uh, viruses mutating. Uh, they, they become slightly different. That's microevolution, but macroevolution is the idea that man came from the hominids who came from another species, connected to the apes, and we all go back to some simple-celled creature that's spontaneously generated. Do I believe in that? No, I do not believe in macroevolution because... I believe it is unscientific. As Stephen Jay Gould said, one of the greatest evolutionists of the 20th century, he said, for all practical purposes, neo-Darwinism is dead. I don't believe it. Should Christians keep the Sabbath? When is the true Sabbath, and why do so few keep it? Well, why do so few keep it doesn't concern me at all. Uh, truth is not discovered by counting noses. You don't discover truth by finding the biggest church. I am a Sabbath keeper. Oh, yeah, you must be a Jew. No, no, no. I'm not a Jew, but I follow a Jesus who was a Jew. I'm a spiritual Jew, but I keep the Sabbath because Jesus, my Lord, the founder of the Christian church, was a Sabbath keeper. And the Sabbath was changed hundreds of years after Jesus. In fact, it was changed by the Roman Catholic Church. You know, that's terrible you're saying. You're, no, no, no. We're just talking about the plain facts here today. You see, we're just talking about plain talk. That's what, that's what we're trying to do. But it was, the Sabbath was changed by the Vatican, and they say so. Now, the Bible says Jesus went to Nazareth. This is Luke chapter 4, where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. Jesus was a Sabbath keeper. Jesus risked his life to show the importance of the Sabbath. He precipitated a number of crises with the Pharisees and the Jewish religious leaders over the Sabbath. He never did that for circumcision or for the ceremonial law. 
Jesus was a Sabbath keeper. All the early Christians were Sabbath keepers. But hundreds of years after Christ, the Roman Catholic Church changed the Sabbath from the seventh day to the first day of the week. How do I know it? It was predicted in the Bible in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 25 because I've got a ton of books written by my beloved friends in the Roman Catholic Church and they say, of course we change the day and the change is the mark of our authority. Where did the different nations come from? Well, that's uh, an easy one. Uh, some of these questions you send to me are, are really tough ones and some of them I, you know, I've got to really think hard about, but I don't have to think about this one at all because all the nations came from the hand of God. We're all related. Every person on the planet goes back to the first couple, Adam and Eve, an historical couple. They did exist. And so I'm related to white people. I'm a white person, so I'm related to white people, but I'm related to black people and brown people and yellow people and red people. We all come from the hand of God. We're all brothers and sisters, and we all need Christ. I'm a new believer, and I'm having real problems with what I find in the church. Should I just stay home and have church by myself? Well, I'd only stay home and have church by myself if uh, somebody was threatening to take my life when I went to church, and I don't think it's as bad as that, is it? Now, there have always been hypocrites in the church. People say, I don't go to church, I couldn't join the church because it's got so many hypocrites. But there are more hypocrites outside the church than inside the church. But Jesus said there would be hypocrites and there would be unworthy members in the church. But you need to follow Christ and not the people inside the church. The problem is that people try to follow the church and that's why they get into trouble. In Matthew 13, uh, Jesus spoke about the weeds and the tares. The weeds are the good people and the, uh, and the tares, they're, they're, they're the bad ones, but there's good wheat there also and Jesus talks about it. He says, the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire. It's going to happen like this at the end of the age. Uh, they will throw them into the fiery furnace. And then it says he's going to weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin, all that do evil. Then it says the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of his father in the church. There are two types of individuals. You've got the wheat and you've got the weeds. You've got the wheat and you've got the tares. You've got the good and you've got the bad. You've got the sincere and you've got the hypocrites, but remember what Jesus said to his disciple. Don't worry about this man. Follow me. You and I are not saved by the church. The church needs salvation. We are saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus had a church of 12 members and one of them was a murderer, a hypocrite, a thief, a liar. His name was Judas. Now go to church. Try to make the church better. Go and shine for Jesus and keep your eyes on Jesus. And when Jesus comes, my friend, 
if you are following Jesus, you're going to go home with him to glory. For a copy of today's program, please contact us at P.O. Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. Or in Australia, contact us at P.O. Box 861, Terrigal, New South Wales, 2260. This program is made possible through the generous support of viewers like you. We thank you for your continued support. May God richly bless you.